The following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love, your pursuit, your heart. Uh, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that um, that you were willing to to face the unrighteous um, weight of our sin um, and that you were willing to face the wrath that was due us so that we would know uh, the freedom, uh, the liberty that, uh, that you longed for us, that you raced to a cross to, um, to embrace for us. So we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, for your kindness to us, uh, for this parable that helps us to understand how how passionate you are about our rescue. And um, and Lord, I pray that we would run to you, that you would find our hearts and lives uh, racing after uh, an intimate relationship with you, knowing that everything that uh, that we long for in life is found in your presence. And that's what you've purchased us back to. So thank you for calling us home and making a way back. Uh, we just... Um, we ask that you be with Fred as he waits for your perfect timing for the, the procedure that you have uh, purposed for him or planned, Father. We just, just put that all in your hands and, and just, uh, just thank you in advance for your, for your faithfulness and for your hand there. We ask that you be with Rob as he heals from uh, the ruptured Achilles surgery that on Thursday, Lord. We pray that you would just continue to give Julie the, the strength as a caregiver, the comfort, um, and that you would just bring healing uh, as only you can. Father, our hope and trust is in you alone for all these things. You are our great physician and healer, and we rest in you uh, and look to you for for wisdom, for healing, for, um, for, a, for your heart to be imparted to us as we yield ourselves to you. Um, we long to be your agents, your instruments, uh, uh, and so your ambassadors of, of reconciliation. Uh, Lord, we just uh, continue to ask that you'd be with our senior saints, uh, Miss Shirley, Miss Catherine, Miss Esther, Mom and many, Miss Miss Judy Seibels. Lord, we just pray that you administer to them uh, and help us to be your hands and feet because uh, we know your heart for our senior saints. And uh, we pray that we would share your heart and uh, and minister. And we just thank you, Father. We thank you for this Easter season. And as we take in again the cross and uh and an empty tomb and the implications and the rescue that we've experienced because of your great love for us. Lord, we pray that you would um, help us to worship you uh, authentically, sincerely, but not just in song, but with our lives, Lord. Uh, I pray that you would seed our hearts with truth now as we uh, sit under your word, ready to be transformed by uh, the teaching of your word uh, through your Holy Spirit. Um, Make this frail vessel an, an instrument for your glory, Father, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I just remind you that I'm a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody that saved my soul, right? Like, I mean, that's just the truth. Uh, um, you know, this is, this is God's work this morning. And, uh, if you're, if you're willing, uh, the Holy Spirit wants to, uh, do a glorious work in you to, to, to speak this, this important message 
uh, uniquely into your life. Um, and I believe that uh, as we look at the, 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 the prodigal son parable, um, we can find ourselves very easily in the prodigal son, the son that left home and uh, forfeited uh, the father's presence uh, in, in pursuit of uh, worldly pleasure and, uh, and found that to be empty. Uh, ended up in a pig's pen and uh, came to his senses. Fortunately, made his way back to a father that he knew was lavish and loving and uh, and experienced his grace, his generosity and kindness as the father raced to him to reconcile him uh, back as son, to remind him of who he is um, and uh, and also to restore his inheritance, to restore his sonship and uh, and to celebrate his homecoming. Um, that's that's uh, we can find ourselves, I think, pretty easily in that narrative. Uh, but then the, sh- the, the the narrative shifts, the parable shifts, and uh, Jesus begins to put a, a, a very strong focus on the, the the target audience here, which is the Pharisees and the scribes, and uh, and and they begin to find themselves in the in the parable, in the story, in the narrative uh, of the older brother. And uh, and before we become critical of them, uh, let us be introspective of our own lives and hearts where we might find a pharisaical attitude and perspective where we might uh, find um, pride, uh, self-righteousness, uh, the things that that kind of keep us from from celebrating uh, the, the lavish, reckless love, the, the lavish grace and mercy that our father pours out on our lives. Um, so I begin again uh, with uh, verses one and two. So this entire chapter uh, is the context of it is found right here in the first two verses. And uh, as you know, in, in verses three through uh, 10, which was preached several weeks back, um, was is, is the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. Um, and that that is all being unpacked for these Pharisees and scribes to understand the mission of Christ, the heart of the father, the desire that he has that none should perish and uh, and how heaven rejoices over one sinner that repents uh, and, and throws a party and a celebration. Uh, we need to know how heaven responds to repentance and salvation to the, the finishing work of Christ's mission to rescue humanity, that heaven rejoices, that, that God's heart is, uh, is passionate for the pursuit and the reconciliation and the rescue of humanity. And, uh, and then we come to the prodigal son in verses 11 to 32, and we've talked several weeks about verses 11 to 24, specifically focusing on the, um, the wasteful son. Uh, that uh, that I just mentioned. Uh, I'm going to read that for us very quickly so that we can kind of have that as the backdrop of this morning's text. Uh, so follow with me if you have your Bibles, as I hope you do. Um, please uh, open those to Luke 15, the third gospel in the New Testament, third book in the New Testament, and we're in chapter 15. Uh, I'll read verses 1 and 2. Again, this is the audience of these parables. This is this is the, the, the circumstance and the heart and the grumbling attitude that Jesus is speaking this parable into. Uh, and he says this, and uh, this is what the text says in verses 1 and 2. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners 
were all drawing near to him or to hear him and him being Jesus. Now, do we celebrate that? Is that exciting that uh, tax collectors and sinners are, are racing to this, uh, this, this, this wonderful rabbi, this, this teacher? We know him as Messiah, Lord, now King. Um, and, and just they, 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 they already know. I mean, they're kind of, I'm sure, um, thrilled to know that he is called a, uh, a tax collector be, to be one of his disciples, uh, much to the, to the confusion and, and dislike of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, and the scribes. Um, but they're coming because they, they already know his disposition, his heart, his, their, their response. Like they, they, they have this sense that he's like the prodigal father that is described here as the one that's welcoming uh, and receiving, as it says here, uh, the, the folks that had been ostracized by the Jewish leaders uh, that have uh, been uh, put in the category of beyond repair or not worthy as if they were. Um, and this is the kind of the context and the culture that these uh, these things are being spoken into. And then he goes on in verse two to say uh, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. And they didn't just keep it to themselves. It's not just a statement where um, Jesus often kind of knows their heart, knows their thoughts, and we're given that insight. Here, they actually state this, and it says, this man receives sinners and eats with them, and they're not happy about it, right? It, you know, to a heart that, that is hungry to see the, the, the lost found and the, the sinner, uh, you know, reconciled to, to saint, like, this doesn't make any sense, right? Like, why, why would they, as the Jewish leaders, as the spiritual leaders of, of why would they be upset? Why are they, why are they mad that, uh, that, that the, the lost are coming in? Um, uh, and that's part of what Jesus addresses here in the parable that we'll, at least the portion that we're going to look at of the older brother. But let me, let me read this as a backdrop, and then we'll dive into our text in 25 to 32. But first, 11 to 24. And he said, being Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he, the father, divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was, he was, it says, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself or his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And before he could finish his confessional statement, verse 22 says, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. 
and let us eat and celebrate for this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now we get to this point in this parable and it's like, yay, right? This is exciting. Reconcile. Do you ever kind of, you know, watch a movie or uh, usually on Hallmark, you know, at the end, is, you, know, you know, it all seems to work out, right? Like, you know, you get to that point and it's like, yes, you know, like who doesn't love to see a father and son reconciled, friendships reconciled, marriage reconciled, you know, a, a lost person reconciled to, to their heavenly father. What a, what a glorious picture. So exciting. And yet, there is someone that's severely disgruntled here uh, to the point of anger and won't share the Father's heart of celebration at all, right? Why? Why? I mean, so this is the part where, I mean, it's, it's the very end of these three parables and Jesus is getting to the Pharisees, which is the audience that necessitated these these parables. And so rather than on behalf of these Pharisees, rather than obvious and outward obedience, they were guilty of concealed and inward sin. Okay, so what, what's going on here, as I'll, I'll read in, in this passage in Matthew, is, you know, there are many times that Jesus kind of confronts the attitude um, of the Pharisees, scribes and and uh, and Sadducees, because they're not they're not embracing the lost. They're actually a hindrance. In one case, he says, you know, you you go so far to, 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 to generate a convert and then you make them twice. That's what Jesus says. Twice the sons of hell that you are. Right. Trying to, to really put the mirror in front of their hearts. And they're, they're 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 more of a hindrance to what he is doing than an asset. And uh, and so Jesus says this in Matthew 23 about the Pharisees specifically and the scribes, same audience. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. In other words, in their context, that's that word means actor. You're you're trying to to portray something that you're that's not true of your heart of who you really are for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that, that, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. I don't know, I think that's the third time. That might be difficult to swallow. For you are like whitewashed tombs. Like whitewashed, why would he even say it like that? Like you're dead, right? But you're all pretty on the outside, but you're dead on the inside which outwardly appears beautiful but within are full of dead people's bones and all and all uncleanliness so you also outwardly appear righteous to others not to god but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness which means sin and so just so that we get a context for the audience that he's speaking to, to Jesus' perception of their hypocrisy. And, and I want to ask a question this morning. Does Jesus love them? It, did he come to, to save them, to rescue them? I mean, is he, is he, is he bothered by the fact that, you, you know, you're supposed to be the leaders and, and you're, you're actually the, the greatest obstacle to, to, to them knowing the Father? Yes, um, but he is he is there for their rescue. And we see that in this parable. 
like at the t- tail end of this parable, what we find is just like the father raced to the prodigal son, I mean, raced to him. This is a this is a clear sign of humility. Um, this is this demonstrates his heart uh, of reckless love and pursuit of our of our rescue or salvation. But just like the the, the younger son, the the father it says goes out in the field like there's a party going on. There's a major celebration that he wants the older son to come to and is firmly resistant to. And he says he comes out and entreats him to what? To come in, to come in, not just to his home, but to his heart and to share his his disposition and his his heart of celebration. But he can't. He is angry. Why? So the, the, the text picks up again in verse 25. And again, this is a parable. This is a, a, an earthly story that's meant to de- demonstrate a heavenly principle. And, uh, and Jesus is unpacking their hearts right in front of them. And the truth is, he's, he's unpacking ours too. Oh, that we would be open to the pharisaical elements and contents that are in our life and that we would be postured here right now, ready to repent of those things so that we can join the party too. So in verse 25, it says, now his older, his older son was in the field, the older son of the father who has just reconciled and welcomed his, his long awaited younger son home that he waited on the horizon for and was, and is just elated for his, for his homecoming. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him, what are these things? What do these things mean or what what these things meant? And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice that he doesn't call him his brother, right? When this son of yours who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him? Notice the explanation point. And he said to him, being the father, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother, notice he's reminding him, right? This, your brother was dead and is alive, was lost and is found. Okay, so I remind you of verse two, the the kind of the reason that Jesus is, is introducing this character to this to his parable in verse two it says and the pharisees and scribes grumbled saying this man receives sinners and eats with them right you know one of the things i say that the uh, sadducees were sad you see because they um they they have you ever have you ever met this is this is sad have you ever met a christian that just can't seem to join the party do you know what i'm talking about they just can't seem to celebrate you know, like the, the lavish gift of God's grace. They can't seem to celebrate all the, the, the wonder of, of who God is and what he's done, 
Like they can't seem to let their lives explode with gratitude and thanksgiving and joy uh, because of the generosity of God and the mercy of God that has been poured out on their lives. And, uh, and, and, they, and they have all these restrictive things about, about partying, right? And, and this is by no means uh, liberty to do things we ought not do. But what I'm saying is like, you know, he's not willing to go in because he's all wrapped up in the law. And he's all wrapped up in like the fact that they don't deserve and I do. And and he's angry and it, and, it, and it really has a strong connotation. If you remember in Genesis 3, there's an older brother and there's a younger brother. The older brother's name is Cain and the younger brother's name is Abel, right? And, and, and what does Abel do? Abel, the younger brother, you know, he, 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 he has an understanding of the heart of, of God because he comes and he brings his first and his best to God. He, he offers his, his heart in what he gives the Lord in worship. And what happens is the Lord accepts it and, uh, and, and values his, his offering because it's really not about what we give God, but why we give God. Right. It's it's the heart behind it. And uh, and that's what God is after. And so Cain comes and it says, and Cain gave God basically in the course of time, he gave God the leftovers. Right. He gave him some, but it wasn't the first and the best. And and God says, um, th- th- this is not this is not what you should bring as an offering. And it says that 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 he was not pleased with Cain's offering. And so Cain gets angry. Right. Cain gets angry. Because you accepted him, but not me. Like, like, really? And what does he do? He takes it out on who? He gets angry at Abel and, and he kills him. Like this is, you want to talk about, this is the first family. You know, things, things are pretty rough after the fall, right from the start, right? Like this, this, it's, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a picture of the human heart and condition. Right. That's that's filled with envy and jealousy and and pride and arrogance. And and we're so aware of other people's faults and failures, but we can't see our own. And um, and so we see this same kind of situation going on. And so I have some questions and some thoughts for you. How is the older son like the Jewish leaders? Because surely Jesus is using this to put a picture or a mirror in front of these these hearts. Well, one, he was diligent. And was obedient. And we're just drawing this from the text, right? He was, well, self-declared, right? He was diligent uh, in the field and he was obedient, says he obeyed, he obeyed every command. I mean, we hear this from the rich young ruler too, right? Yeah, I, I've done all of those from birth, right? But, but one of the things that Jesus done, does in the Sermon on the Mount is he clarifies from God's perspective what, that, it, that these, are a heart, these are heart matters. These, these really define themselves through our motives. So if you're, if you, if you say, oh, well, I've never murdered, right? I've never murdered. But have you ever been angry with your brother in your heart? Jesus says, then you've already murdered, right? I mean, it, he, he, he really clarifies from God's perspective the standard of the law and how it really is a, a reflection of our hearts and our motives, our motives depict those things. But here he only sees his outward appearance. And, but, but was his heart in it? Was his heart in his diligence? Was his heart in his uh, in obeying the commands of the father? Well, I, I, you know, it seemed like it was an outward statement and it was self-declared compared to his brother. He was the righteous one, right? Do we see this in the Jewish culture? 
um, that, that they perceive that, oh, the Pharisees, they're the righteous ones. You know, they're doing all, they're doing every, but Jesus kind of is the only one that knew their hearts. And as I read earlier in Matthew 23, he told them really what was going on inside was, was dead, right? And, uh, and, and for God, you know, man looks at the outward periods, but God looks at the, at the heart, right? And, uh, and so in his comparison, I mean, it's interesting. I, you look at uh, Je- in Jesus' ministry, uh, one of the moments uh, Jesus says to the, to, the, to, the, to the disciples, he says, unless your righteousness, right, surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And just so we understand the cultural perception of these, these Jewish leaders, they are like flabbergasted. They, they're like, What? then who can be saved? That's their perception of these, these men's righteousness. And Jesus is giving them a reality check because he's looking and depicting their hearts. Now, I'm sure this wasn't well received, but, and I think this was clearly understood that they were the older brother. But, but like the older brother, you know, his, his, um, his righteousness was, was, was amplified in his own perception and possibly the, the perceptions of others by the fact that his younger brother was a prodigal. Okay, so take this in for just a moment. Like um, his reputation benefited from his younger brother being reckless and prodigal, right? And, uh, and that, 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 he liked that reputation and the Pharisees benefited from that as well. So for Jesus to embrace sinners and tax collectors, right? This is, this is, this is kind of, you know, unsettling for the Pharisees because we're the righteous one. We're the one that likes the greetings in, in the marketplaces. You're, you're, you're messing with our system here. And, and, and by default, you're messing with our identity and our sense of value. And, uh, and that's a part of what he's addressing here. He was quick to point out the sins of his brother. Like, here's where we could possibly be a Pharisee. Do you, do you feel better when, you, when, you, when you're able to kind of talk about other people's faults and failures? And should we ever even do that? When we talk about the, the, the woes, the mistakes, the failures, where, where should we, what should we do with that information? Should we ever take that to another or, or broadcast that? Or do we go to the Father on their behalf, wanting to see their healing and reconciliation, wanting to see them loved? And if the Father would allow that you would go to them and, uh, and share your heart of concern, uh, making sure that your motive is their reconciliation, healing, and love. But he's, he is quick to point out the sins of others, but is extremely blind to his own sin. This might be the definition of self-righteous. But what is the true test of obedience? What is the true test of obedience? What, what, how would you answer that question? And you don't even have to say it out loud. I just, I just want you to think about it. What, what would you say that Jesus would say is the true test of obedience? The true test. Well, look with me to, at Luke 10, 25 to 28. And there's an interesting conversation between Jesus and a, and a Pharisee or, or, or a lawyer, uh, a Jewish leader. It, it says this in verse 25 to 28. It says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to test him, him being Jesus, or put him to a test and saying, 
teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Right? What, what should I do to be rescued for all eternity into the Father's heart? He says to him, what is written in the law? And how do you read it? And the Pharisee or the lawyer uh, answers and says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. Question this morning. Was the older brother loving the father and loving his brother? And yet they self-declared, I've, you know, I've, done, I've been obedient to everything. I've, I've served you. And maybe, maybe uh, this outward, and, and we've got to be careful about this. Are we doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons? Right? Are, are, we, are, are, we, are we trying to live so other people will think I'm a good, righteous person when all along our hearts are far from the Father? And we're really not doing it to please the Lord. We're doing it to earn some, some, some fickle reputation. And, and we have to be you know, concerned about these things. Um, so one of the thoughts is the older son did not love the father or his brother. You know, David was affirmed. Did, did David make mistakes? King David, yes. But, but did he maintain a, a heart that, that was, was after God's own heart? And man, that's what matters. What matters is our hearts because that determines our home. And so here's, here's another question or thought. Um, he did not share the father's heart for his younger brother for sure and didn't want him to come home. Do we share the father's heart that our prodigal brothers would come home and follow in the father's example of love? Like, do we, do we long for those that are walking in total recklessness and wastefulness to the gifts and opportunities and privileges that God has provided? Do we, do we long for their homecoming? And like the Father, do we stand on the horizon of their life excited about the day that they come to their senses and make their way back? And do you know that we could actually be the tangible expression of the Father's arms, embrace, love, and truth in that moment, compassion. Can, we can actually be the channel, the instrument of that, of that moment of embrace as we prayerfully long for their reconciliation. That should be our posture, right? So the passage starts in verse 25, and I'll read through 27. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house and heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, what these things meant. Interesting, he called a servant rather than just going in. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf. Okay, so what is this fattened calf? Just really quickly. Um, basically, this is a, uh, if you had the means, you would actually uh, set aside a calf and it would, it would not rain, uh, range out in the field because you're hoping that it would it would fatten up and that it would be given a very special diet for that very reason. And at any occasion that, that it, would be, it would become dinner, um, then this was meant to be a, a, a special occasion and a celebration, 
right? And, and those terms are used uh, throughout the world, but it's, 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 it finds its expression here in this, in this uh, parable. And it says, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. So question, are you and the father on the same page when it comes to partying? Are you and the father on the same page uh, when it comes to partying. So, uh, you know, this to, to, to say this differently, what, what do you celebrate? Do you share what, what heaven celebrates, what the Father celebrates? Like, is, is, is that, is that the, the things that you are fattening a celebration to, to, to be a part of, right? That's, that's the Father's heart. That's what he's celebrating here, um, Verse 15, I mean, chapter 15, 28 continues here and says, but he was angry, angry, like he's mad about his, his brother coming home or his father's son. He won't call him his brother, right? Unforgiveness and lack of mercy contributes to this, ang- this anger. Guys, please, please let your heart be in- examined by the spirit in this. Unforgiveness and a lack of mercy will cause anger when other people benefit in ways that you don't believe is deserved. Right? And what we're told in the Beatitude, blessed are the merciful for they what? They will obtain mercy. And then we're told in Matthew 7, uh, we're told that by the measure you judge, you will be judged. Right. So like, you know, what's what's so just about God is we set our own standards of judgment by the way that we judge others in life. (laughs) That's pretty just. Right. You you set the measurement by which you are judged by the way that you judge others. Is that not challenging? And that we're called to be men and women of mercy. This is the blessed life that that what triumphs over judgment triumphs we see that at the cross right it's so it's so beautifully depicted but he was angry now anger uh, anybody ever got angry right i mean right we right like but we're told to be angry and sin not like don't let the sun set on your anger james tells us you know to be quick to listen slow to speak slow to become angry which is what god is he's slow to anger rich in love right uh, because man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So I'm going to take a brief pause here from the, from the, and, and really speak to this because I think it's an epidemic in our culture. It just seems like it's like under the surface and it's right there ready to rear its un- ugly head all the time, especially when I'm out in traffic. I see it all the time, right? I mean, like, I, like that's all it took for you to tell me I'm number one? Wow. Wow. You know, like, you know, and all kinds of craziness, right? But, but, or, or if they're, they're behind a keyboard, they just, they vent. And it's like, wow, where'd that come from? You know, it just seems to be that anger is, is prevalent in our culture. Now, I've heard it justified that, you know, Jesus cleared the temple, not once, but twice. At the beginning of his ministry and at the very end of his ministry, Jesus cleared the temple and he was visibly, obviously angry. Yes. But what was he angry for? Did, did, did the father share his anger, right? So we have what's called righteous anger and man's anger or unrighteous anger. 
Jesus in the temple, right? He is. He says, how dare you take my father's house, which is meant to be a house of prayer, and you've turned it into a den of thieves, right? Like, and, and he is, it says he is zealous for the temple or for the father's house. Now, look, Jesus is not about buildings. This is a foreshadowing of the true temple that he's zealous for. Who's the temple? We are the temple. And what was Jesus coming to do? Cleanse the temple, right? And what this is depicting for us is that Jesus was zealous and fully committed in all aspects of his emotion to the cleansing of our temple so that the Holy Spirit, so that this could be a house of prayer, so we could be brought near, right? And and when we share God, and he never whipped a person, by the way. He did turned over tables and, and money changers and all of that. Right. But but guys, we we often our anger is is more connected to us than it is to God. And, and, and that anger does not end in anything positive or fruitful. So be angry, but sin not. And so in order for us to do that, you know, I think the counsel in James is 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 ideal is be be quick to listen and slow to speak. It's almost like a recipe to not get, you know, like, because when we get angry, oftentimes what we say is not helpful, right? But hurtful. And, uh, and here he speaks in his anger. He's angry and his anger, like, why would you be angry that your brothers come home and your dad's throwing a party and he's celebrated unless you feel like all of this has negative implications for you? And that's really what's going on. And he needs to take a hard look at his own heart. And the father is trying to help him to do that. But he he was angry and he refused to go in. He says, I'm not celebrating this. I'm not going to celebrate this. The father came out. And you know what that clearly says? That him and his father are not on the same page. So, guys, are you on the same page with the father? Or is your 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 self-appointed like ideals and desires, if they're at odds with, with the father, you're going to, you're going, you're going to be in conflict there, right? We need to celebrate what God celebrates. And if we can't do that, that is often an indicator that something's not right in us, right? And, and Jesus is trying to point that out. So his father came out and entreated him. I love this because this is a picture of what, the Lord does for us. The Holy Spirit does for us. We see it with the prodigal son. Now we see it with the prideful, arrogant, self-righteous brother is that the father leaves the party. He leaves the house and he races to him and entreats him, pleads with him, please come in and genuinely celebrate that your brother has come home. And the unfortunate thing is he can't do it. And my question to you this morning is why? Why? Guys, do you know that this is the result of unforgiveness? Self-righteousness, pride, absolutely. Right? And all of the factors we'll, get, we'll discuss here in a second. But, but its root cause is unforgiveness. It will alienate you from the Father's heart. It will, you, you will not feel the intimacy of home. When there is unforgiveness in our heart, we're told in the Lord's prayer, Father, forgive me. Please forgive us our sins 
as we have, past tense, forgiven, past tense, those who have sinned against us. It's almost like the standard again. Like if we want to be forgiven, which, you know, Jesus says that, you know, it's every time, 70 times seven, right? And we're to forgive as we've been forgiven, as Jesus has forgiven you, forgive. And it it really is a statement that we've understood and appreciated what's been done for us. And Jesus uses an illustration, a beautiful parable in Matthew 18 on the issue of forgiveness. And in Matthew 18, he talks about the, the, uh, the unmerciful servant. And in this parable, this guy is forgiven an amount from a king that is beyond. And obviously, Jesus is our king, that God, the father, like he is he's pardoned of 10,000 talents, which is 10,000 annual wages. It's a it's it's a number beyond the ability to be repaid or 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 even contemplate or understand. But then he goes out and there's a fellow servant that owes him 100 denarii. Now, that's about five and a half months wages. So it's no small. Jesus is so intentional here. It's it. It's a painful moment. It's a it's a painful debt. Right. Transgression. But uh, so what does he do? It says right after he experiences the mercy of God, the grace, the forgiveness, the pardon that is beyond our wildest dreams. He says that he took that servant and began to choke him and demanded that he give him what he owed him. He had just been like forgiven 10,000 annual wages. And someone owes him five and a half months wages. And I think Jesus does that intentionally because it's a significant amount. And it says that his master finds out about it, calls him in, calls him wicked servant, said, I I forgave you. You couldn't forgive him in comparison. And he says, you know, he sends him to jail. He says he, he, he will be there and tortured by the enemy uh, until he until he pays the debt, which he, he can't pay. Do you see that the importance of 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 reciprocating and demonstrating and and offering the mercy, the grace and the forgiveness and the pardon that's been given to us? Because if we don't, we will we won't share the father's home or his heart. And, and these roots of bitterness will well up in us. I, I ask you this morning, I plead with you this morning, is there anybody that you haven't forgiven? And I would tell you, whatever the debt is, and, and I know there's been some painful things that have been done. Did, did Jesus forgive the denial of three times by Peter? Right? Did, did he experience betrayal? And all of that, and yet did he go to the cross and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? And did he say that when, you know, when Peter offered the concession of not three times, but how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Seven times? Jesus says, no, every time. Seventy times. It's not a math formula. It's, it's, it's a principle that, that, that actually liberates you from the prison of unforgiveness. Because you won't experience the heart of God, the heart of the Father, the home that we're so desperate for in order to experience the peace, joy, life, and hope that he provides. And we will, we will start to grow bitter and we can't even celebrate anybody else's homecoming when there's, when there's unforgiveness in our own hearts. So he entreats him. 
But he answers his father, look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you, so he, so he, he basically runs into his resume, right? And, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, I mean, you could, you can, I mean, just in his vernacular, you can see the, the bitterness, the hatred even that has grown in his heart uh, of yours came who has devoured your property. So I don't get why you're not angry too, dad, with prostitutes. Like, let me ask you a question. Like, do you marvel at the mercy of God? I hope so. I mean, are, are you just blown away by the love of God and that, that Christ would, would go to a cross for very rarely. This is what Romans chapter five, verse uh, chapter five says, um, I think it's six, seven and eight. It says very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his very own love for us in this. While we were still or yet sinners, Christ died for us. Where's our worthiness in that? Where's our, like, God God simply is love. His mercy is not based on what we can or can't do and respond to that grace and mercy and love. This is just who he is. Are are you blown away? Have Have you had a recent moment where you've just been thrusted into worship just into tearful worship because you're just blown away by the grace of God in your life. Blown away that he would cover your sin as far as far as the east is from the west. And that he would do that while you were still in a rebellious posture, while you were still sitting in a pig's pen in a far off land. He would race to your rescue. I, I hope so. We, we, Guys, we got to take in. That's why I want you to come to this, this series on the cross because we need, to, we need to be reminded of how lost we were and how found we are in Christ. But when the son of yours who devoured your property with prostitutes, you came, you, you killed the fatted calf for him? Explanation point? For him? Do you see the, 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 the attitude of the Pharisees coming out here? And if, you're, if, we're, if we're honest... Maybe even our attitude, like Jesus died for, you think Jesus died for Hitler? He did. I think that's the whole world, right? Like, and, and for us to get our heart and mind around that, we have to understand that God's love and grace has those boundless limits. Like he wants that none should perish. And yet in the midst of that, just so that we don't go too far, we have to understand that God is just. And yet what blows your mind is his just, like the cross was a picture of both the justification of God and the justice of God. Like at the same time he rescued us, he poured out the wrath that was due humanity on his son. And that's, that wrath remains for those that don't, accept and receive and acknowledge the lordship of and his his love his gift free gift of mercy that same wrath remains for those uh, that are that and you know what's crazy here if you think about this son what is he doing he's saying i'm not going to that party i don't like what it represents right i'm not i'm, I'm not i'm not contributing to that to that celebration and you know where he ends up he ends up outside of the feast. 
And you know what Jesus is picturing here? The wedding banquet at the end of the day. And because of their posture, because of the unforgiveness and the, the lack of recognition of their own sin, selfishness, pride, and arrogance, they're going to, self-justified, by the way, I'm staying out here. And they think they're in the right and they're going to face eternal separation. And they, you know, and all, all the Father's doing is, please come to the party. Isn't that what he's inviting us to? Like everyone, whether it be the, the son that, 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 that necessitates the party or the son that won't come, he's, he's entreating, please. And, and, and guys, I know this sounds simplistic, but, but you know, we're meant to go out there and invite people to the party. We're meant to go out there and invite people into the family. Like you can be adopted too. You can come to know the father. You can be son too. You can be daughter. Like, like he's got, a, he's got enough of that. For I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may also be. In my father's house, there is what? Many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. Like he knows. He knows. Like He knows, right? He, he's the son that came to share the father and share everything that he has with you. And, and we're getting to invite people to the party. And, and it's crazy to me that here's, this is what Jesus is demonstrating in this illustration. He's saying, son, 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 everything that I have is yours. Like I come, come celebrate, come to the party. Are you out there in, in that mode of, of understanding God's grace and love because it's just blown you away and you live in a worshipful mode of gratitude and thanksgiving that you're going, hey, you want to come to the party too? Let, let me tell you, like, I mean, because look, do you think that the party that, that the prodigal son came home to was better than all of the, the reckless living parties that he experienced out there? And do you think that the party that happened in his own heart was a billion times better because like the part the world's party doesn't doesn't do those things for our hearts if anything it it causes a greater emptiness and brokenness in here see what the father celebrated angered the older son guys what, what we should share whatever god celebrates and if any of that angers you that, that there's something to be ask god to unpack that for you even though he knew it made the father very happy, he did not want his brother to come home. Even though it made God exceedingly glad, he's like, I don't want this. Now, is there a prophet that comes to mind here? Talk about that in a minute. Why, why did the older brother refuse to celebrate? Why? Why? And so my question is this, does God's lavish grace anger you? Does it upset you that, I mean, some people, the thief on the cross really, really messes with their doctrine, but it messes with their sense of fairness. That's not fair, right? Like I had to go through all the suffering of the Christian life. You know, I had to, I had to endure all the, you know, the, the pain and agony of, of rejection and betrayal and uh, persecution, you know, and, and, and he came into the, his experience with Jesus six hours ago. Right. And and he actually mocks him. He actually mocks him. And six hours later, now he's declaring him Lord through his experience with Jesus. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, that's not fair. Right. I mean, look what he did. Look what I did. Look at all the stuff that I did. Right. Like 
I mean, Jesus has parables that talk about this. He talks about how this guy has a field and he hires people, right? And, and this guy, you know, he hires a group of people at like just at sunup, right? And, and then later on, he hires more people and more people and more people. And then it's almost, it's almost time for the end of the day and he hires the people and he pays the person at the very end of the day the same amount that he paid the guy that worked all day long. And who's mad? Who's angry? The guy that, that, man, you hired me for a full day's work. I worked all day long. And now you're giving me the same, same reward or payment or as, as the guy that just started an hour. That's not fair. And he says, this is what Jesus says in that parable. He says, so you're mad at me because I'm generous. You're angry with me because I'm just, isn't, isn't, isn't my resources mine to give? And you're mad at me? Is, is, is what I'm giving you not good enough? That's, this is what he says. I mean, didn't you, this is what he says. Didn't you agree to, to come for this when, you, when I asked you? And yet you're mad because I'm generous? And, but that, isn't that what we're talking about here? Isn't that why the prodigal son is angry? And, 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 and inevitably, this is why the Pharisees are mad. They don't deserve it. I deserve it. I've been a good boy. I obeyed the commandments. Is that true, guys? Did they really? They're lost in self-righteousness. Lost in it. And it's, it's, to me, it's, inc- it's sad. The question was, does God's lavish grace anger you? Next thought. Why should I share my inheritance or estate with him? Guys, does this attitude creep into us? Like, I'm going to, this is going to step on toes. Okay, so like God, has God blessed you? Do you have a home? Do you have food? Do you have cars, TVs? Do you have, do you have abundance in, in the global economy? Are you wealthy? Uh, it, but, but above that, is God blessed when it comes to his son, his spirit, his word? Like, and then someone that's, you know, they, they, they haven't been as good as you, right? They, they're facing some hard times, some difficult circumstances. Well, they don't deserve my generosity. Do you know we're meant to be channels of God's generous grace, love, mercy, kindness in various forms? Like, should it be based on what they deserve or, or merit? Because is that how God measures things to us? Maybe, maybe we should be more, more grace-filled and more merciful in that, in that mode. And maybe, maybe we should be the most generous people on the planet because that's our daddy, right? Why should I share my inheritance with him? He does not deserve the father's love. That's what he's saying. Now, do you have anybody in the category of not deserving of God's mercy, grace, or love? Because of what they did to me. Because how they hurt me. God smite them. I want them to get what's coming. How many of you watch a movie and the bad guy gets what's coming in the end? You're like, yeah! <laughs> right? Like, I don't think we should celebrate that. Because that doesn't look anything like the cross. That's not how God's economy works. But that's what our flesh loves. 
right? Because we, and look, let me, let me say this. This is a caveat to this. There will be perfect justice in the end. Perfect. God will make every wrong right. And you know, but he does that in his patience. Thank God. He does that in his mercy. He pleads with the sinner and don't think you weren't one too. And he, and he calls us to his heart and he calls us to come back home. And that's the heart of the father. What, which, which, um, which, which prophet is this similar to? Jonah, right? You know, now just very quick on this. Jonah, um, see, because it's only 1056, guys. So I got another hour just letting you know. It's a good Sunday. Yeah. Thanks for whoever didn't turn that clock back. All right. Or forward or whatever. Um, I'm, I'm kidding. Okay, I'm just kidding. But, but um, Jonah, quick synopsis. Jonah is, uh, if you read the backdrop on Jonah, he is like a faithful God, like he is honors the Lord with, he's a messenger of God. He speaks God's truth. He is dependable. He's a good, good, good prophet, well-respected. And then God asks him, now this is early 600 uh, BC, okay? And and this is historical, this is, this is not some some fictional story. This is This is a man that was faithful to God as a prophet of God, gifted for that purpose, called. And then God says, I want you to go and tell those Assyrians. Yeah, the Assyrians that annihilated your people and, and took out the northern kingdom that I used as an instrument of discipline, by the way, and, uh, and did horrific things as they did to other cultures. And, and, and Jonah hates them. He hates them. Right. And he wants God to 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 judge them and destroy them because that's in his mind. That's justice. Now, guys, be very careful about your self-appointed justice for people, because if you don't put that mirror in front of your own life, too. Doesn't work that way. Right. Aren't you are anyone in this morning glad that you're not going to get what you deserve? Right. Hallelujah. Should we not have the same heart and desire for others? But Jonah was so angry, so mad, so he, he was convinced they deserved the worst of the worst of the worst. And so this is what he said. This is one of my favorite parts about Jonah. Jonah says, I know what you're going to do, God. And this just, I love this because he knows, he knows our daddy. He knows our omniscient father, right? He goes, I know what you're going to do. You're going to forgive him. You're going to call them to repentance. You're going to do some miraculous thing. You're going to love them the way that you love. That's just what, who you are. And then you're going to forgive them. And I don't want to have anything to do with it. It, it, it. Am I wrong? Right? And so what does he do? He jumps on a boat and he looks to get away. Right? He's, and he actually, his destination is, it, it's as far as he can go on that, on the, on the Mediterranean. He's gone. Right? And in the midst of that, God, God, God bring, he, did God get him to do what he wanted him to do? But, but here's the thing. So he comes back, you know, through a means of the most uh, deified pagan uh, God in, in, the, in, the, in the Assyrian, like, understanding of their gods, which is a fish. You look at all their architecture that's been found. It's all fish, right? And, and who's, what spits Jonah up? He has instant credibility. He's a prophet of Nineveh now, right? He's got instant credibility with people. They listen to everything he says. They fall on their face. They, they, they all repent. And Jonah is so excited, right? He is ticked off. He's like, this is exactly what I, I said you would do. And you did it. And here these people have come to repentance. 
and they've come home and there's the sackcloth and ash, even the animals, everything is, is being cleansed by God's grace and mercy and Jonah is ticked off. And if you had a chance, just go and read, especially chapter four. But, but read that, you know, like God provides, anyway, it's, it's the exact same thing that's going on here. He did the father's will. Jonah did the father's will, but not from his heart. And guys, can we be guilty of the same thing? Just going through the motions. We're doing, we're doing, you know, I've done everything that you commanded me. Right? Right? But like, but, but, but his heart wasn't in it. It wasn't done to please the father. It wasn't done to, because if he really wanted to please the father, he would go to the party. But he didn't want anything to do with it. Because we're so, we're so conditioned to please the flesh instead of to please him. And we've got to deny our flesh, ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him. He did not labor in love. He didn't labor in love. Are you laboring in love? Are you, are you laboring unto the Lord as, as, as a, a servant of Christ Jesus, as the bride of Christ, as, you know, as a submitted helper? And, 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 and you're, what you're doing is a labor of love because that has to do with where our motive is. The prodigal son made the older brother look good, as I mentioned earlier, right? And he liked that. Now the, the son's home. He doesn't look as good. Right? There's no contrast. Jesus' love and grace for the sinner and the tax collector threatened the Pharisees' reputation. And even with his bad attitude and perspective, which the father knew, the father entreats him to come and join the celebration. How merciful is that? You know, this is my point in that. God knows your heart. Do you, do you know God knows all the ugliness and loves you anyway and sent his son to die anyway? But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that amazing? Like if if I knew my heart, I, I'm not sure I'd go to a cross for me. Right? And yet while we were rebellious, like doesn't that challenge uh, like how we treat others? Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love that's what we're called to even this bad attitude the father entreats him look how kind and merciful the father is here have you acknowledged the kindness and mercy of our heavenly father if you're taking notes here write down romans 4 2 you know what you know what god's kindness does and he knows it it leads us to what repentance it's the kindness of god that leads us to repentance he is patient with the older son. It is his call to repentance for him. And this is how the, the, the son, this is his statements. I never ran away and I and squandered your wealth. I never did that. I didn't deny your love. And where is my party? Isn't that what he says? I mean, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing it. I never ran away and squandered your wealth. I didn't deny your love. So where's my party? And, and even a smaller kind of synopsis, I'd say, I never sinned. He sinned. Why are you throwing a party for him? And you know why we have a party? Because Christ took the penalty, right? Like we, we are reconciled back to a home that is full of celebration. And, and, and because you know what celebration is? The Father, His presence. That's what, that's what makes life worth living. 
That's, that's life himself. Our father did, did more than kill the fatted calf. He sacrificed the lamb of God. And then our final two verses says this. And he said to him, son, isn't that important? He reminds him of who he is. You're my son, right? Share my posture, my, my disposition. You are always with me and all that is mine is yours. Like what a kind, like have you ever thought about this? What a kind word in the midst of this angered, like debative, like even combative moment. What does he say? This is such an example to us, right? Jesus is, is Molly. He says, son, you are always with. Can you, can you see the kindness in this? The love, the reminder, all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate. It was right to celebrate and be glad and rejoice. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Can I point out the obvious here? As we look at verses 3 to 32, and we look at three parables, and they all have the same thematic element of something was lost, and when it was found by the one that owned it, right? There was massive celebration. Everyone was called and, and there's total rejoicing. And we see folks, we see, we see shepherds, we see uh, women, we see, we see servants, we see angels. I mean, we see fathers, we see sons. And isn't it interesting if you take in all the characters, they're all rejoicing except one, one, not rejoicing. And it's the older brother. It's the Pharisee that's being like, you, you can't find any joy in that disposition. You can't find any joy because in his presence is the fullness of joy. You can't find any joy. Do you know what will suck the joy out of life? Unforgiveness. It'll suck the joy. That's the prison that's discussed in Matthew 18. Like, please, please today, if there is someone that has harmed and hurt you, I'm sorry, but forgive them. And if, you, if, if it's something that's beyond your ability, ask God to do it through you because he will relieve you of that debt and that burden. And it will, it will liberate you to his presence. You'll begin to, to celebrate again because this is the only one that can't celebrate. Have you ever been in a place of unforgiveness? Can you celebrate there? Your heart's sick. Thoughts as we close. The father reminded him of his identity first, son. Remember when the angel Gabriel came to to Joseph, son of David, he reminded him of his lineage so he would understand the prophetic impact of this moment. Though he was was present, his heart was not. Right? Though that his heart was, he was present with the father. Like you can say, like at the end of the day, this is what Jesus will say. Depart from me for I did not. Look, you can know about God, but that doesn't mean you know God. I know, I know about Michael Jordan, but I don't know him. Right? But do you know him? And the, the catalyst to knowing him is confession, repentance, belief, and then we're invited in. And then his spirit actually introduces us and, and, and makes us familiar with the heart of God. Is your heart at home with the Father? That's a question we all need to ask this morning. And if not, why? Is it self-righteousness? And we'll talk about some of these things in just a second. 
but is your heart at home with the Father? When we have broken relationships with others, it affects our relationship with our Father. Can you see that in the text? When you have broken relationship with others, especially in the church, it affects your relationship with the Father. The Father even reminded the older son of all that he had in him. Isn't that what God does? Isn't that what the Spirit does? Do you need to be reminded of all that you have in him today? Please dive into the scriptures. Ask the Holy Spirit to remind you of everything you have in Christ. It will lead you to worship, gratitude, thanksgiving, praise, forgiveness. Even though the father pleaded with him, he did not come in and neither did the Pharisees. That's the sad reality in most cases. Sadly, he missed the joy of forgiveness and reconciliation. He missed that. He is the only one in all three parables that doesn't experience joy, as I mentioned. He stayed outside and missed the feast. I mentioned it earlier, but it bears repeating. Jesus is talking about the wedding banquet at the end of, of the day here. And he is in the Father. He is saying is inviting you. And how many parables does Jesus speak on this? The father prepared a banquet. The father had a party. He had, a, you know, and they were too busy to come or they had other plans. And man, he, he's entreating us to come in through, through grace, forgiveness and mercy. But he stayed out and missed the feast. Are you missing out too? Are you missing out too? Are you just holding on to, isn't it funny how our flesh holds on to unforgiveness? You ever notice that? Like it kind of feeds on it, feeds on pride and arrogance and, and self, you know, self-righteousness, all of that. And that's why we got to deny our flesh. We've got to, we got to, ex, we got to experience the God, the God of mercy by being an instrument of mercy and, and offering grace to others. Like the father, we should be ministers of reconciliation. That's what we're called to. So to conclude, this is the attitude and perspective the Jewish leaders lacked. Why? Judgmental. Pride. And I I might not have an exhausted list here, but if any of these resonate, please ask the Father to purge these of your heart. Jesus will cleanse your temple. He is zealous for that. By the work of the Holy Spirit, judgmental. This is why. Pride. Critical of others blind to your own sin, unwilling to hear a a corrective rebuke from a loved, like a loving brother or sister. Do the right things for the wrong reasons, all about your image or reputation. They could not celebrate anything. You know, one of the things that, that, that this pharisaical attitude has, they can't celebrate others. You know what they can't do either? They they can't seem to genuinely celebrate other people's uh, joys in life. But the other thing that this 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 uh, this painful place uh, renders in our life is they can't encourage people. They they can't do it. They can't encourage others because that's what a heart of bitterness does. So how do we how do we move out of this? It's a call to repentance. And, And and please. Before you leave here today, as the worship team comes, I, I'm encouraging you to listen to this song. It's very, it's very appropriate, but also use this time to, to pray and do some, whatever the Holy Spirit's doing in your heart right now, don't, don't miss this moment.
I mentioned last week, moments of clarity are, 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 are precious. It, for the younger son, it was discontentment, ungratefulness, and, and, and idolatry, and adulterous, and being an, an adulteress as far as loving something more than they loved the father. For the older son that we discussed this morning, it's a judgmental attitude. It's being critical of others. It's being blind to our own sin. It's doing all the, th- all the right things for the wrong reasons and not being willing to celebrate the, the joys of, that others experience in Christ, especially, especially reconciliation and healing and forgiveness. So stand with me as we sing our last song together. And uh, please make this a time of prayer. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.